All right, uh, how's it folks? Welcome to it. Uh, Thoughts longer than three minutes. This is part two of the conversation that we began last week with Lita and Lulu. Um, I'm not going to say much more uh, other than if you haven't listened to part one, please go back and uh, listen to that. Uh, But yeah, here goes part two of a conversation I had with two of my good friends. Um, Please do me a favor and number one, subscribe to the podcast i honestly only listen to the podcast that i subscribe to uh, so if you could do that for me i would really really appreciate it and then uh, share this conversation please if you find it any way helpful any way enlightening please share it with some people around you um, that's honestly how podcasting kind of grows it's uh, by word of mouth most of the time so i'd really appreciate it if you could just share it with one friend and uh, that you think it might help as well but without further ado, here is my conversation with Lita and Lulu, part two. Okay, we're back. Uh, part two here of uh, the con- a conversation with Lita and Leander. Oh, I nearly said Lita and Leander Miataza. That was close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just not impressed. Uh, um, but yeah, we're, we're back. Part two. Um, if you didn't listen to part one, please go back, listen to part one. You'll get to know who they are and etc. We're literally just going to dive right in uh, to talk about their podcast. Um, that's probably racist, is the name of the podcast. Uh, you will find it in the show notes. Um, and it is, it is a faith based podcast, but about a very real uh, life a topic that's kind of happening to to us at the moment so uh let's just start there what what made you guys start start that's probably racist whose brainchild was it who's going to take credit um lita 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 takes credit you know why as well because the thing is lita and i have very intense conversations just between ourselves you know and so we were like we were, we're quite like very deep thinkers you know and so we were talking about stuff. I mean, we share articles, we share stuff we've read, you know, and both mm-hmm. of us started cutting out justice. And so we were sharing notes regarding that and scriptures that we were like, you'll do this, you'll do that. Um, and so, and, and this isn't new. Like, it's not like we just started these conversations. Like, we've always had these conversations. And um, so during one of them, Lisa's like, dude, um, we should start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, 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 haha. You know, like, yeah, sure. Um, sure. That would be cool. Um, I kid you not, like, I didn't think he was being serious. Um, and then later in that same conversation, he's like, no, dude, like, we should start a podcast. I'm like, oh, snap, he's serious. Like, he means it. Sure. Um, and I was like, I mean, how would we go about doing this? Um, you know, so definitely Lisa behind behind it so you can take all the credit big man lights all right coming through so what inspired it light what what made you feel like dude let's 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 do this so i we a lot i think we actually started our podcast around the same time yeah i think um again the conversation that we had i was like especially in the climate of the world where it was like more people need to hear more stuff Mm -hmm. um i think racism christianity and i think the how deep leander and i were going i just it felt like a disservice to keep it just between leander and i especially because we're super convicted about it and i was like i think what we have could potentially 
um, convict others. Sure. And so then, yeah, I was like, start a podcast. I had no idea how we were going to do it, but you started the podcast on Anchor. And I was like, oh, okay, so it can't be. We can, we can jump in. We can jump on that wave and start a podcast as well. Sure. And so, yeah, I, I remember I sat down, wrote, came up with a bunch of names, I think. As Lita does. Yeah, between like 10 to 15, we picked one and then we rolled with it. And I think, I think because we already have the conversations, it didn't take much for us to start the actual podcast. We just needed to come up with topics and then we went from there. Got you. All right, so for somebody who's never listened to the podcast, what's a brief description that you would give them about what the podcast is about? Um, a faith-based conversation opener regarding race, racism, and all that comes with it. A faith-based conversation opener about race, racism, and all that comes with it. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. And, and so uh, let's, let's talk about it, man. You know, uh, this is, uh, we are recording this as South Africans, uh, 26 years since our first democratic election. Um, you know, we're, we're the rainbow nation, man. We're the poster child for reconciliation, reform, repentance. I mean, we've done it all as a country, right? So, uh, so why are you guys talking about racism and South Africa is perfect. We don't have racism here. (laughs) I see the sarcasm on your face. <laughs> like, even though I know you're joking, I'm like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, those are some problematic statements, right? I mean, those are some things that, that kind of will tickle people. Yeah. I think um, you've, yeah. you've opened the door there. I think because a lot of people think like you, Believe but seriously. Mm. <laughs> and um, so I think because people don't see that racism is real and people don't see the the effects that it has and the, the the many aspects that it comes in and the forms that it comes in i think people then just shy away because people think about the extreme cases and so okay well about that is over now mm-hmm. uh, we had the democratic election black people are in power so boom racism defeated sure. but um i think they don't see the everyday effects that it has, the, the role that it's played in building our society and the, the, the divisions in our society. And so I think um, that conversation needs to happen. But I think as well in the church, because the church, as much as it's separate from society, is still part of society. Mm. And so I think all of the, the, it's easy for elements of the world to seep into church. And I don't think racism is any different. I mean, we talk about other sin all the time because we understand that we're human beings. <laughs> and so I think racism shouldn't be any different because it, it, does, it is part of it. And I think there are, there, are small, there are instances of racism in the church that happen all the time. There's, there's culture that's, that uh, racism builds that affects the church, like, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it's a conversation that needs to happen and continue to happen. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I definitely think it's, it's, it easily is swept under the rug because I think it's, um, unfortunately, it is one of those uh, things that is a lot, it's uncomfortable. You know, we, yeah. we'll probably get into some definitions here of things like white fragility and white guilt. I think that's, yeah. that's huge. Uh, but I also think there's some African people, black people, people of color who 
in themselves are not confident enough yet to attack to address yeah. issues to, and to tackle it so i appreciate so much that you guys have a podcast i mean this is part of why i wanted to have you on here is to talk about this uh but but maybe give us a, a, a quick definition what what is racism <laughs> yeah man. I mean, I was going to say, this is like your favorite thing to state. So I feel like I'm robbing you of saying it. Um, but ultimately, it's prejudice based on superiority. So it isn't something that you can say, I'm I, like just prejudice and preference and whatever regarding race in and of itself. The difference between racism and any other form of discrimination is that the perpetrator comes from a, a position of superiority. Um, so I think that's like a very brief way of describing it, but I think it's a very potent like this like indicator of like the difference between racism and everything else. Because I think that's something that people tend to miss. Mm. Okay. All right. So so then can can black people be racist? No. no. Our answer is no. <laughs> All right. Tell, tell me why. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about the Christianity and stuff. I just want to kind of help people grasp. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. Yeah. Like Leander said, uh, racism, prejudice plus power. And so I think in the society we live in, black people don't have power. So it's not to say black people can't rise up and get into uh, those positions because that happens. It's just that um, they don't have the power to oppress people mm. in the way that white people can and so with that, because all of the white people, with the white people, oppression came and then the racism came. And so it's like they used it to build those two things feed into each other. And so black people can't, insti- like black people can't keep white people out of institutions or, or black people can't make a code of conduct that negatively affects white kids or, uh, you know, like, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head, sure. but I think um, I think it's the it, there's a power element that comes with racism because that's where racism is effective, okay. and so then other, the other stuff, prejudice, is just it's views like very bad problematic views, but that's all they are views. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, so so when let's say and this is a true story, I was running, I was doing some running here in my neighborhood on the road, uh, a cyclist, uh, white cyclist. Was, cyc- was cycling the opposite direction. As cyclists do, they runners run against traffic. They go with the traffic because they consider yeah. it like an automobile. And then there was a car. And now the way that the roads are in my area is they wide. They, there's more than enough space for me, him, and the car with no problem. And I, I ran this way. I ran that route at least four times a week. Uh, this particular day, the guy is super upset, calls me the K-word, um, just for sensitivity to other people who are listening, calls me the K-word, if, if you're in America, probably similar to the N-word, yeah. and then like fakes punching me, right? Like as in like, I need to be on this pavement, why am I running on the road? Now, um, in that moment, is he being racist or is he being prejudiced? <laughs> Firstly, wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, yes, in 2020, can you imagine? 2020 down the road. Um, <laughs> uh, so I will start by saying yes, definitely racist. Okay. Because ultimately he leans towards the harshest form of um, insult that he can possess 
in that moment. Um, it's like how, how we can say there's no such thing as a racial slur towards white people. There isn't. We don't have one. There's things that you can call them that are rude, but there isn't a racial mm. slur. Something like that word possesses so much power because it has historical context. Behind sure. it, it is a word that was used to constantly oppress black people. So it has like literally the foundation of that word is racist. Um, but also with something Lisa said is that I think is important to remember is that race is the child of racism, not the father. And that's like one of my favorite quotes, but the concept is race in and of itself is a creation that's rooted in racism because it's rooted in finding a way to divide, finding a way to, to huh. like give reason to separation, give reason to superiority, finding something that we can use. Um, and so I think that's, th that situation is a clear example sure. of that. Um, but also I think before we even carry on, just for throughout the conversation to keep in mind that sin is sin, yeah. Um, and so we're not saying that racism is better um, or worse than prejudice, sin is sin. And so for a black person to have a certain disposition regarding white people is as problematic as a white person being racist. It's just different names. And we can't use them interchangeably, call stuff for what they are. So, yeah. so you, you literally took the words out of my mouth because that was my question. So he was being racist. Now, if I start thinking, Right, like if I start thinking, you know, man, all white people are bullies, whatever. Okay, uh, honestly, that day I just felt like pushing him off his bike and watching him fall and laugh. That that's <laughs> honest confession, right? Um, yeah. But I kept running, and it was actually before church. It was Sunday morning, and I just I prayed, and it, you know, moved on. So so what you're saying, and I think this is important for people to underline, is prejudice is as much a sin as racism is. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, seeing as we've already started to talk about the Christianity thing, what does Jesus have to say to racists? Yeah, I think the just to jump off what Leander said with, with, with the people um, and how race, racism are interchangeable. I think even there's even biblical standpoint from that. You see, when God created the people, He never mentions that Adam and Eve were their skin color. Mm. So. Adam was black or Eve was white or like, et cetera. I think because it was people first and then only when the wars and the slavery and that starts, then do we start seeing tribes and uh, definitions of people based on that. And so I think there's biblical standpoint to what Leanna just said. Sure. Um, as for what Jesus would say to racists, I think the big thing is that he would say that you don't know me. So as in Jesus himself would say, they don't know who Jesus is. Because I think, um, especially uh, because I'm thinking of from a church standpoint, I think you can't know Jesus truly mm -hmm. and then be racist mm -hmm. and or ignore that racism exists or uh, kind of shy away from that conversation. I think Jesus uh, is very much about valuing people for who they are and um even within the social divisions is lifting people up and like giving uh the attention to those who've been ostracized by society giving them more care and giving them special care and so i think jesus 
notices the divisions. And so then I think it, it's very unlike him not to. Mm. Um, or, or not to care or to try to run away. And I think, especially in Jesus' time, the way he treated people was revolutionary. It, it's pro- it would probably still be revolutionary today. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that you, you, can't, you don't know him or you haven't experienced him or met him if uh, you're not, you're not, you don't take face racism head on if you, you're not truthful about its existence and then you try to fight it, I think, in short. Yeah. You would say, yeah. Cool. Lulz, is there anything you want to add on that? Yeah, um, I think also Jesus ultimately is God and we look in the Old Testament and there's examples of God showing his detest for injustice. And I think a great example that I love referring to and I loved like getting Legion to like read with me and we were like jamming is Amos 5 where God... does not like mince his words like he tells them that it's essentially disgusting what they're doing and like this whole thing of them creating ways to separate them creates such a divide that any sacrifice that they make is made in vain god rejects it um i think the first time i read that i was just like yikes like my gaze like that's really intense for god to be like yeah you're praising all these things you're sacrificing the land like it doesn't matter how great it is and i think it's even like us it's like it doesn't matter how great you present yourself to be regarding christianity if you're gonna find a way to be divisive then all of that is meaningless sure um and i think that's such a hectic truth and i feel like jesus would say the same thing because jesus is one with god and and so i feel like jesus would be like if you're gonna find ways to be divisive then whatever else you do and claim for it to be in my name, I reject it. Um, which for me, I'm like, that's low-key scary. Cause I'm like, if anything, that should be encouraging us to be like, how can I help? How can I find ways to make things better? How can I find ways to fight for righteousness and justice? Because these are concepts that we tend to separate, but they're actually intertwined. Um, and so, yeah. That's just an extra thought there that I'd, I'd want to add to what Light said. Sure. So, so if Jesus would have such a staunch stance, and clearly, I mean, Amos 5 is a great picture of this, but clearly God is anti this. Like he, this, the, the story of the Bible, his whole goal was Israel, a nation, to reach all the nations. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. it, it literally starts there. You, you go through, I mean, there's so many Isaiah, Psalm, blah blah blah. In the Old Testament, you come into the New Testament, Jesus does the same thing, he breaks the barriers with the Samaritans, like, and that's huge. Like, for them, that's like that would have been like a white preacher in a black neighborhood, man. Like, that is big deal stuff. Yeah. And I'm saying, white preacher, black neighborhood in 1960 in South Africa, or mm-hmm. you know, in, in during slavery in the US, like, that is it's major stuff. So, there is a clear stance on the part of God and Jesus that they're not for and they're not about racism. Why then are Christians so uncomfortable with this conversation? Again, I just want to put this out there. This is all your guys' opinions. You know, we're not talking for any particular organization. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody's listening, thinking, no, you guys are just going hard. But I wonder, <laughs> why, why, do we, why do we find that people are just that uncomfortable with, this, with that kind of thing? In the church or just generally? Christians. 
Christians. Why, why are Christians uncomfortable with the con? Like, why is it that? I mean, there's a preacher who said Black Lives Matter, white guy, and people mm-hmm. left his church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? I like, think one massive church, thing, not just like our. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of church. course. Yeah. I think a huge thing is we forget sometimes that church is a microcosm of society. Okay. And so, if this is something that society at large is uncomfortable talking church and it becomes something that in the church we become uncomfortable talking about um um especially because it would make it does make us stand out and i think we're called to stand out but sometimes when it comes to doing things that force that it becomes like i don't want to step on too many toes i don't want to make too many people uncomfortable um and it is because of the like position that we are in as a, a world at large. So I think it's definitely influence. Mm. It's not just um, us feeling uncomfortable, but the reality is the world is uncomfortable. Sure. Okay. Yes, Light, you look like you want to say something. <laughs> yeah, I think two things. I think one, um, as we said, sin is sinner. So I think it's uncomfortable to see any type of sin in yourselves. But I think when it comes to racism, I think a lot of times, I think people see the biases in themselves, the stuff that they talk about. And then that's, that self-confrontation moment isn't nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's better. I think it would be better for a lot of people to just uh, kind of avoid that. And so I think it makes it I, just the truth about yourself for a large majority of the time is always uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing with church, uh, with Christianity, and I think I, I formed this opinion a couple of days ago, is that um, we see a church um, as like our shelter from the world. And so um, for a lot of time, uh, we're separate from the world, we're, we're sheltered from the world, we're different. But I think the other part of Christianity is we have to take Christianity into the world. Okay. And so I think for a lot of people in a lot of churches, the second part is not one that they do. And so I think it's, it's this shelter from the world and to keep all the bad stuff out and to keep the world out instead of taking Jesus and the world into the bad in the world. And so I think if we do the second part, then I think the reality of the world is much easier for us to accept. Sure. But because we only do the first part, I think we're often hiding away from the realities of the world. And then when inevitably they seep into the church, we're uncomfortable because we've been hiding and we're not ready. Sure. So, okay, so help, help. There's two people I want you guys to help. I want you to help the white person who has uh, racist tendencies. They have, I don't know if I can say they have prejudice in their heart. I, I want you to talk to that person. What would you say are some, maybe a practical thing or two or something that they need to understand for them to say, I want to change. I don't want to be this person. Like I want to get rid of all of this, these, this racism, like the way that I view black people, I want to get, or people of color, I want to get over this. How do they kind of repent in, in, that, in that space? And then I'll talk, to, talk about the other person as well. So I think one massive thing to acknowledge is that we all have our biases, all of us. Um, And so no one is exempt 
from this because I think sometimes people are like oh I'm not racist you know I see everyone as equal I'm like no um not to any fault of yours to a certain degree but like there are things that are embedded in you to think a certain way mm-hmm. um so I think one is acknowledging that yeah. um to 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 say otherwise is very prideful very arrogant because then you'd essentially be saying I'm better than everyone on planet earth um and it's like mm, i hate to break it to you but only jesus um so i think that's one thing and so in that being humble enough to tell people especially like having friends that are black to be able to tell them if i'm doing something that is racist or, or has a trace of racial prejudice tell me mm. um because ultimately your black friends will be able to tell you better than if another white person, like, because we're experiencing it. Right. Um, So I think it's definite humility is the underlying thing regarding the whole, the whole solution Um, because it requires us to be okay with being uncomfortable. It requires us being okay with being challenged and okay with being corrected because ultimately, even in your journey of getting better, you're constantly going to make mistakes. And I think that's another thing. I always compare it to learning a language. And um, that like, for example, I'm, I'm trying to learn Spanish. And so okay, I love the language. Spanish. We've had this conversation. Okay. <laughs> this is not, we're can, not doing this. You can speak um, Spanish. Can you get okay, good at so, your Spanish? Sure, but you can speak. So, Remo, let me speak. Let okay, me say my sorry. analogy, please. <laughs> Um, so I'm learning Spanish and I feel like I, my understanding is very good, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that some people might understand the concept of racism very well and prejudice very well, but my speaking isn't necessarily the greatest. A big reason as to why my speaking isn't the greatest is I refuse to practice. I'm too scared to practice. It's embarrassing to practice. The reality is my Spanish is horrible and it comes out of my mouth because it's not my native language. And so I'm constantly going to have to practice. I need to speak to people that speak Spanish so that they can correct my Spanish. You know, I need to seek out resources that teach me how to, um, to, to speak like my grammar and like correct my grammar. I'm it's like watching movies. I listen to the language. I get to hear it a bit more. So it helps me with my understanding and my pronunciation because now I'm hearing it so much. And I'm like, it's the same thing with learning yeah. how to be less prejudiced. Sorry, I don't know if you could hear that in the background. I apologize. Um, but, but it's literally the same thing of learning your biases. It's practicing. But like me, you have to take away the shame of, of making a mistake. Um, yeah. I'm not going to be able to carry on practicing if I'm like, I'm going to make a mistake. It's inevitable. It's not my native language. I'm going to mess up. Um, but I need to be willing to take that correction and keep practicing and sure. keep going because eventually I will get better. Eventually I'll be able to have a full conversation with someone and eventually my Spanish might be so fluent that I can teach someone else. Yeah. Well, uh, that's good. Lights. Anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, just not much. I think the, the importance of learning, I think one thing, racism, we see it as like, it will never go away, but I think, maybe it's possible for the situation to change and to get better because at the end of the day, it's a learned thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been learned over hundreds and hundreds of years, but it's still a learned thing. And so I think, like Leander said, anything you learn, you can can unlearn. Sure. And so I think the humility to accept that you need to learn, but then, yeah, read stuff, talk to people. 
And then especially Christianity in the Bible, there's lots of lessons on that in the Bible. So you seek stuff like that out, listen to, uh, listen to people talk on it, you know, just anything like, like you would do with any other sin when it comes to trying to repent and trying to learn and grow and change. I think do the same with racism. Sure. That's good. And, and I'll just say, you know, from the kind of as a minister, you know, this is, this is a sin like any other sin. So therefore Christ nailed it on the cross. Like you, if you feel like you've had racial prejudice moments, racial, racism, things, whatever, if you feel like you've sinned in this way, like know that there is grace, like Christ has won the victory over this sin, just the same. So even when you fall short and when you kind of mess up or whatever, you know, um, I just have to say I'm a minister man at heart. So I, I care for people to feel like Yo, it's okay. Like there is enough <laughs> grace. This is not like you guys have already said, it's not the worst sin in the world. Okay. This is just something that you have to work through and there is grace for you to change. Um, Mm-hmm. So, so real, real quick, uh, I do want to talk about this before I, I switch to the second person. I want to, I want you guys to help. Um, yeah. White guilt, white fragility. Yeah. Uh, they seem to be said in the same sentence. You know, what, what kind of, what are they? I think most people know what they are, but how would you help someone kind of get over that? Cause I think that is a lot of what stops a lot of white people at the moment from, from actually experiencing true life change is because they they riddled with with guilt and we know that with any other sin when you when you just feel guilty worldly sorrow you just you don't change right so how do you help them kind of get over white guilt and white fragility so i think what i think they same whatsapp group but they're two slightly different things i think they do they do feed into each other Mm -hmm. uh white fragility is feeling personally attacked when someone talks about their experiences with racism as if they're attacking you Mm-hmm. And so then because of that, the conversation now stops with you. Uh, and then they have to kind of like walk on eggshells around you, but then you don't change and the other person's left frustrated. Okay. Um, and so I think with that, like, to be like, quite frank is just, I think white fragility is a form of pride. Sure. So because now you've, you've yeah. sent like years of affliction and you've made it about you. Ooh. And so I think, um, I think you've got to, I think that's one thing you've got to, it will be uncomfortable. And so you've got to accept that, but it, you, you can't now, when you do feel personally attacked, instead of like stopping the conversation, just ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I feel like when people talk about racism, they're talking about me. And then I think it, it might take bravery and courage to answer that question, but um I think you're gonna, I think those are, I think it's much better than to just stop the conversation or to make it about you. I think it's, I think it's to like, oh, I felt something there. I wonder why. Explore that. And I think that, that way you grow. And I think uh, white guilt, slightly different. I think it is still you, it is still a, like a personal thing, but I think that's just, you, you feel bad, but like so bad and you like so pity and is, you know, like the woe is me type of vibe. Mm. And where like, oh no, there's racism now and I'm a white person, that must mean I suck, but then you don't do anything. Sure. And so I think, again, that doesn't help the conversation either because then it still inevitably ends with the person who experiences the racism trying to make you feel better and trying to make you feel like it's okay, there's racism, but you're not racist, like you're exempt. Mm. And so I think, again, 
it's really again it's another form of pride because i think pride is pride at the core of it is making things about you so that you can get the better treatments or the treatment you feel you deserve okay um and so i think white guilt just feeds into that is that now instead of fighting racism we have to protect you sure and so i think yeah i think those two things and i think they're huge stuff in stopping like or like stopping the fight from uh, against racism from progressing because it's it's hard enough to deal with racism and so to add your personal emotions onto that mm. i think kind of kind of stops the flow and the energy and what we could be doing it and then making it about you and so i think uh i think because look they're bad things but they're human responses so yeah. i think it's still again talking through that and again just asking the questions but why do i feel like this and then acknowledging that okay but this is hindering the fight against racism rather than helping it grow so what can i do to change and to learn and to grow and then i think that we go much further doing that than just sitting in the fragility and the guilt okay so yeah interesting uh lulz anything you want to add on that yeah i think i just so i wanted to summarize it by saying like white fragility is this discomfort and leads to you not wanting to talk about it whereas i feel like white guilt is leads to paralysis and means you don't want to do anything about it sure yeah um um so so i think like lisa said like same whatsapp group because if you don't want to talk then you won't want to do it um but slightly different and so i love that she brought up the fact that they both rooted in pride and you making it about yourself because that's exactly what it is because then what happens is when you're having a conversation with someone when you're speaking about your experience as a black person what they'll do is make it about them because then it becomes I didn't do that to anyone. I I would never do that to anyone. That's not how I treat people and it's like this isn't about you it's about the fact that this is my experience. So you are actually robbing me of even being able to share that with you. And so you're inflicting more hurt than you are helping anybody. Um sure. and so I think it's that I think be willing to listen. Um I think we we've, we've come to this, we we live in a society that sometimes like and i can be guilty of this ask anyone yeah. close to me and it's true where it's just like if i'm talking to you i'm like ready to come back at you like i'm like oh, this person like if he's going to speak to me about real madrid you better come correct you know cuz <laughs> like i like eight facts and i'm going to be like this person doesn't know what they're talking about i'm so ready to come back at you and so i'm already i'm listening to respond i'm not listening to hear you and so i think this is a, on a grand scale where you need to just listen especially as a white person you can't you can't and you need to acknowledge you'll never be able to re- relate please remove the statements i know how you feel from your vocabulary when someone is sharing their pain because <laughs> that is one of the most painful things that you can say to someone when they're sharing their experience because ultimately you're robbing the validity and the the like the amount of pain carried in what they're saying sure um and so i think that's one thing is never claim to to know how the other person feels and often it is rooted in a good place you know sometimes yeah. it's the whole thing of like wanting to be empathetic personally i feel like empathy is on the brink of extinction and not in a bad way simply because 
our lives are so different for me to claim that I know exactly how you feel isn't fair in that our triggers are the same our experiences our triggers aren't the same our experiences aren't the same and so life leading up to that situation won't be the same sure um so I'm not saying it like uh, to be pessimistic but I'm, I'm saying it just just I know like it might sound that way but I'm just saying it because I feel like in saying that sometimes we're trying to be supportive but what you end up doing is making the other person feel small sure um um so so i think that's a huge thing is just to be able to sit back and listen because sometimes situations like this you don't have to speak Mm. and i think just on that um social media is a good example of that I, i had a conversation with someone that is white and they were saying like they don't know what to do because they don't know what to say. I was like, you don't have to say anything. Quite frankly, this is not a time where anyone wants to hear what you have to say. Um, because if anything, this is the opportunity that Black people have never received to be heard. Sure. Um, and so if there's anything you want to do, it's amplify other Black voices. Um, and I think that even in person, that's something that can be done. It's not just social media. It's being able to allow your friends and people to have space to talk, you know, mm. and if someone tries to attack that space, it's being there to protect someone. Um, I always give an example of how there was a brother once I was in the car and I was talking about a story where I had been followed and another brother in the car was like, oh, I know how that feels. And very quickly, the, the brother that was next to me was like, no, you don't. Like he, he corrected him very quickly. Mm. And it was like, you don't know how it feels. You can't relate to her situation. In your situation, you have the other hand you are stronger than the girl like it's not the same but to be able to be that to protect your friends rather than harm your friends and creating a safer space for them to want to share sure um so yeah yeah man this is this has been so good um so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask one more question on this on this line of thinking and then there's one other thing that i wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you guys about um but the second person I wanted you to talk to and help is is me, uh, the the person of color, uh, yeah. who, if we're honest, I have experienced racism. Uh, I've experienced it on a one-on-one level. I've experienced it on, on the institutional and systemic level, um, and I've in, ex- experienced it, unfortunately, even in the church. Yeah. That uh, yeah. for a long yeah. time I grew up with a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus. Practically impossible. Now, I mean, God can do anything. So he could have been blonde haired, blue eyed. But I'm just saying that in my just, <laughs> look, it's just not happening. But I'm, I, this is serious. But how do, I, how do I reconcile being a Christian, going to church with white people? How do I, how do I reconcile that? You know, I heard somebody say, very cynically, and, and this is where the question kind of came from. The person said, oh, these white Christians who believe in justice, oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait until they see the God of justice. And I thought, ooh, I hope that's not my tone. Yeah. That just sounds like, oh, it's like, oh, I cannot wait for them to get to, to meet God because he's going he's to wreck them. Um, so how do, you, you know, how do you help the black child, the, the person of color? What do, what do I do in this, in this um, fight here? To, to, I think, to fight but be Christian is, is ultimately what I'm Yeah. So I think two things. Leander always says it, but like bitterness is also a sin. Boom. Um, and so I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's one thing. You can't 
as much as it's hard, I don't, being in the position, being soured against everyone and waiting for people to go to hell, I think just, I don't think that's not Christian at all. That's also not Jesus. And then I think a second thing is also, um, especially for the Christian, get to know Jesus and get to know God, but uh, know them as people who can comfort you. And so I think for a long time, there's, there's been like a white spin and a whitewashing on, of Christianity. Um, and so I think we can, it's easy for us to feel like ostracized or outside of that, of Christianity and the religion. But I think get to know Jesus and God and his encounters with people in society who weren't cared about or who weren't looked after or who weren't treated fairly and see how he treats them. And then um, I think then the faith part is that believing that he can do the same to you. And then talk to each other. I think a lot of it is, there's a lot of it is trauma. And so I think, especially as black people, we just sit with stuff. Mm. I think there's yeah. a huge in the black person or people of color cultures to just sit with stuff and move through stuff. Cause we have to, like you have to be strong to make it in society stronger, yeah. especially for us. And so I don't think, but I think create that room to talk and, and to heal and to be with each other. And then, use the Bible to do the same. So like pray through stuff, be like, I remember sitting with God and being like, God, I really don't like white people right now. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, I'm gonna like sit here and work through that until my heart is in a place where I want, where I'm not waiting, where I'm not bitter and I'm not waiting for them to go to hell. Because I think we underrate how much God understands or how much God is actually there. Yeah. But I think he's, he's there for all of it. And so I think I don't see a problem sitting there and being like, yo, God, these white people really be sucking today. I don't think, I don't think he's going to like shut down your entire prayer and strike yeah. you with for saying that. But I think, I think it, will, it will help your heart immensely. And then when you're not bitter, you have more room in your heart to fight um, and to actually to learn more about racism and to actually extend the fight much farther than when you're bitter and then inevitably it becomes about you mm. so, and then that when when that's the thing that's just yeah. as, that's just as much of a hindrance as white guilt and white fragility yeah yeah it's super helpful man that's 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 good stuff uh Lulz, anything you want to add uh yeah i don't think uh everything i'm about to say will be entirely favored um but just because i think it's hard and i say that because it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I picked up throughout this whole thing is uh, there's certain attitudes that we can have as Black people that I feel like are extremely justified. And so that's meant that some people will cut out people out of their lives because they just feel like oh, this person is clearly not even trying to say anything yeah. about this or will refuse to talk about it because it hurts too much. Um, or I can't think of anything else right now, but like there's so many uh, shared opinions on how to deal with this, especially like socially. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, I get it. I'm like, yeah, like if that's what you need to do, do it. But I'm like, as a disciple, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I hate to break it to you, but you can't. Yeah. Um, and, and that sucks. To certain, like it's hard because you're like, I want to do all this. I, like to, to, to keep my peace. You know, sure. and I'm like, 
is that Jesus-like? You know, and I think it's, and I'm like I said, it's not favorable. I'm challenging myself in this all the time. And I think mm -hmm. what it's taught me is you have to lean on God so much mm -hmm. because you can't do this by yourself. For you to be strong, for you to be able to share your story, for you to constantly risk the opportunity of being um, gaslighted or having someone try like rip your story away from you, but being willing to tell it again to someone else and have faith in the next person is so hard. It's yeah. so hard. Um, and I and, and and again, it's like constantly revisiting this trauma of like this happened to me. But sure. sometimes you don't know which person is gonna hear that story and it's gonna switch on that light and have them realize how bad things are. Mm. And that means saying this stuff more than you want to. It's very uncomfortable. And so I'm like, we also experience the discomfort. And as much as white people experience it from having to ask, we sure. experience it from having to answer. Um and I think we need to be patient. Something that doesn't come naturally to me. But be able to hear someone where you're listening to what they're saying and you're literally like, are you, are you, like, this is how this person, for real, like, this is how you think. But be able to be tolerant of that. Because I feel like if you're entering the conversation already ready to fight, it's not going to end up going anywhere. It's, mm -hmm. The conversation will finish with two hurt people. Sure. Not anyone feeling like Jesus or yeah. seeing or experiencing Jesus. And mm -hmm. so I feel like we need to be representatives of Christ in that we constantly risking hurting ourselves. Sure. Do I think that's vibey? No. <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> but I, I I think that that's the call. Um yeah. and yeah. and I think sometimes we lean on all the responsibility being on white people and I'm like it's also as disciples, our responsibility to teach. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also part of the reason why Alita and I wanted to do the podcast. Cause we were just like, dude, we can't be disciples and just chill. We were like, how sure. do we, how like the way we approach all of it or not. So let's do it. Um, so by your faces, I can tell you couldn't hear me. That's okay. Uh, I think we, we got the gist of the idea that you're, that you're trying to, to say, which yeah. is like part of the starting of the podcast is as disciples, yeah. we can't just give in. We've got to actually teach people and we've got to go out there. Mm -hmm. and, and I think this is the, the, the truth of this conversation is this, is the call ultimately is for everyone. Be like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so if you're white, be like Jesus. You're brown. Yeah be like jesus be black be like, yeah be like yeah. and if we all be like jesus and i i, I literally say this to, to a lot of the people that i lead uh is if we if we can all be like jesus there'll be no room for anyone to be like satan and then yeah. sure bada bing bada boom you know so so i appreciate that I, i'm gonna close with this question for you guys uh and, and and again i think we could go for part five if we wanted to but there's this there's this term that's come up that is the it's called the resilient disciples it's from a book called faith for exiles by david kinnaman david kinnaman is the owner now and uh, chairperson ceo of um the barna group which is a christian re christian not resources but christian uh research company yeah right? and so they they literally just do survey after survey after survey. So they've come up with this term resilient disciples. And they've said there's five things 
that are and it's it's a, it's a focus on the millennial and Gen Z population, mm-hmm. and the the minority group that are they that that are like serious about Christianity because they're still cultural Christians. There's people who go yeah. to church once a month. Or I say I'm Christian on a on a sheet, but I. Eh. And then yeah. there's resilient disciples, you know. And so some of the stuff that they talk about, there's five of them. I'm not going to talk about all of them. But um, one of the things is like they trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. Um, mm. the, the other is like they actually believe in consequence. There is a, there's sin and there's a consequence for it. There's death mm. and there's, you know, going to be with Jesus, not be with you. Like all of that sort of stuff. Like they've got very deep, real convictions. It's this idea that mm. they're resilient disciples. They are able to withstand the pressures of the society that they live in. Yeah, fantastic mm-hmm. stuff. Read the book; it's a great book. Um, my question to you guys, as we close, is for you: if you had, and don't make it five, maybe three things that you feel like would make young people listening to this podcast to be resilient disciples, resilient Christians, people who will be able to live through life as a Christian in the modern day. What would that be? And because Leander looks like I just threw her under water with. A- <laughs> Pain around her neck that's yanking her down. I'll give her some time to think. So, Lita, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you. What are, what, are three things, what are three things that you feel like, man, these are three key things to help young people be resilient disciples? Um, so, I think the first one, and I think because the other thing was trust the authority of the Bible, I think uh, f- like fully understand the Bible, so get the most out of it. So, uh, if that goes beyond just reading the Bible, and that means like other resources, podcasts, uh, YouTube uh, sermons from people who are not necessarily in your church, I think then do all that because I think we live in a different context to back then. And so I think then if you can't like to uh, make the, put the Bible into your life, then I think um, eventually you, you end up folding because of the pressures of society. Sure. And so I think you use the Bible to build you up as a person. I think that's one. Uh, my second thing is friendships. Okay. So I think, yeah, you need people around you, um, but people who are doing the same thing. And then I think you've got to see your friendships as that they come from God, mm. because then you appreciate them that much more. So uh, have people in your life who want to be who want to be like God and who want to be like Jesus with you and who you can also use to get the most out of the Bible. And so you can like go through things together. Um, uh, you can do things together. I think that's, I think it's like super important because you also, you push each other to grow and to learn um, and you call each other out when you fall short. Yeah. Uh, I think like properly important aspect of it. And I think another thing, which I'm also, again, I'm learning, but I think we, we underrate like the power of prayer because it does a lot uh, for you and God, uh, you and your mental health, you and your peace. Uh, I think there's a lot of things it covers. And I think talk to God more, even like even outside of designated times that you have. So uh, something that is just shaking you happens pray through it uh you lose something someone pray through it uh you've gone from having a really good day to a really bad day pray for it uh vice versa happens pray through that as well i think 
And I think it's the big thing that I, I'm going to say, and I've already said a lot on the podcast. I think for young people, we need to have God be real to us. Mm-hmm. I think we need, we need him to be tangible because it's because we started so young, we're going to grow up with this thing. And so we need to have the intimate relationship with God so that yeah. we can go the distance. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All right. I saw, I even saw a pen come out. So get ready guys. This is, this is notebook time. Leander's, Leander's, Leander's got you. Three things, Lules, just three. Um, uh, obviously, I wrote down because we all know that my memory is... One of the things is trust God's sovereign, like trust that he really does rule over everything, um, whether it be in your life, um, in your country, in the world. Um, I think to genuinely believe that God is in control of everything mm-hmm. um, is, is something that changed me and makes me stronger as a disciple is being able to believe that because then the moment things feel like they're out of my control which is very often Mm -hmm. i'm able to acknowledge the fact that that doesn't matter because the professional of life holds my life in his hands sure um and i think there's so much power in that because then i'm able to acknowledge that everything that i will encounter in my life is in control of as well Mm -hmm. um so i think that's one um the second one is to dig it goes back to the doubt situation but dig deeper than your own personal doubts um yeah um in that like we're called to be prepared at all times to defend Mm -hmm. our faith yeah and so sometimes i think we just dig deeper deep enough to convict ourselves Mm -hmm. and that's great but ultimately you don't want to put in a situation where someone can ask you one question and that shakes your faith because you've never visited it before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important to dig deeper than just your questions to look at worldviews that might make you uncomfortable, but, but you're like, no, I, I get that that's uncomfortable, but I don't really care. Like that doesn't influence my faith mm-hmm. um, because you don't know who you'll be having to teach and it might influence theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's huge is just to have a well-versed, well, like rounded faith. So mm-hmm. that requires digging deeper into your Bible. That requires using more resources. That requires reading more books, listening to more podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final one I also believe is relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't lie. I used to not necessarily understand the whole concept of having to have so many friendships in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I mean, yeah, but no. <laughs> um, I felt like I was satisfied with having a couple and I was okay. And then I'll never forget. It was, there was a sermon and um, they spoke about, and I'll never forget the word, but I think the word is doulos. And it's mm-hmm. the whole concept of iron sharpening iron um and having a relationship with people and this is with your peers where you're constantly challenging each other mm-hmm. which i feel like even in this group that's what we've been able to do for each other is that we're yeah. not just like your growth is great but it's being able to be like your growth is great but i can help it be better in the same way that i know you can do that for me yeah. um and i think in that you're able to one ex- like experience god mm-hmm. um through the people and funnily enough, like, I remember, I won't say which one of y'all, but one of y'all said, 
um, I was going through a lot. And at the time, I, I felt like I told, told you, I was like, um, I feel very grateful to have you because I feel like I get to experience how much you love me. And you said, the only reason I'm able to love you the way I do is because I am a form of God's love. Sure. I'm, and, and I'm just trying to be a manifestation of God's love. I remember the conversation. I remember where we were. And I remember that I nearly cried. <laughs> <laughs> For you to remember, that's the, that's the underlined thing there. It's like, oh my goodness, Leander remembers. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even mad. Um, and yeah. so I think it is that you get to experience God's manifestations of love. Because when Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my father? You experience that when you're able to have relationships in church. I remember yeah. feeling like that scripture was dramatic. I was like, mm, Jesus, I feel like you went a little bit over the top. But now I'm, I'm like, that's what I've experienced in my life. Mm. Um, but... that your royal wisdom in this the squad had said is the whole concept of how vulnerability like the amount of vulnerability you're able to like your relationship Mm -hmm. i I don't know if you can hear me you're both just staring at me so that's why i'm like we, we slowed down. We slowed down, yeah. We slowed down, then came back. Um, all right, I think we've lost her. All right. But yeah, I was done. That was the last thing okay. I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay, cool. Got you. All right, peeps. Uh, we have cranked. This has been epic. Uh, honestly, I think, you know, these two parts, uh, I, I enjoyed the first part, thoroughly enjoyed the second part as well. Uh, and you guys have been super helpful to people. So I hope that... Uh, you know, people will take a listen to, that's probably racist, uh, that will help them. Um, but also I hope that people will really hear what you guys have had to say about how to thrive in life as well as in their faith. Thank you so much. Peace. Bye. Yeah, wow. Uh, what an incredible conversation, right, that I was able to have there with Lita and Lulu. Uh, incredibly insightful. I found it incredibly deep and honest, uh, but also I found it really helpful and convicting uh, in a lot of ways because I think uh, their sincere love and passion for Jesus as well as social justice is evident. And, and you can tell that they have studied it out, they've worked on material, they've thought things through, and uh, just bringing great insight even for me uh, about this topic Um, and so i'm just so grateful for the conversation i do want to say that you know uh, jacob blake or what has happened to jacob blake as well as uh, here in south africa and nathaniel julius these incidences and more hadn't happened uh, by the time we were recording this so if you know if you get the sense that it's it's kind of somewhat insensitive to that i'm sorry Uh, that's not what we were trying to do at all we were just really talking about this podcast that they have and i honestly think so 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 worth a listen i i listen i'm a i'm a subscriber to their podcast every time it comes out 
I, I like to think I'm one of the first few people who get in there to listen because it really is helpful. But I do want to highlight uh, something that was said. And I think, you know, um, great friends of mine, both white and non-white or, or at least not non-white, uh, but people of color um, have really, the ones that have really made an impact on me are the people who have taken what, what Lita Lulu highlighted as humility really seriously during this time. You know, I have a great friend, Jacques Hennes, who has been on a previous episode of the podcast. He's a white South African male and his stance has been, man, I want to listen, I want to learn, and then I want to lead. And that's that's what he's been doing. You know, asking me, having conversations with other people in the ministries that he leads uh, here on the staff that we're on together. And I just want to, I want to underline that, that for both the person of color and the white person, man, we need to be humble. There is no greater sin, racism, prejudice, uh, bitterness, pride. There's no greater sin. All of this is sin for all of us, but we need to all be humble to be able to navigate these times. I believe we are standing at a crossroads societally. We're standing in a moment in time where the question will be asked, what did the church, what did Christians, what did people who say they had faith in Jesus do about race and reconciliation? And I think it begins with all of us being humble, all of us on all sides of the conversation, truly being humble and being willing to listen. I really believe this and I want to I want to just challenge all of us to be the type of people who do so. Uh, but I just want to say a big shout out to everybody who subscribes to this podcast, everybody who listens consistently, everybody who posts the podcast and, and re, re, you know, redistributes it into their circle of influence. I'm so grateful. It continues to grow. We're, we're getting up um, it's close to a thousand uh, downloads on the podcast. It's just incredible to think about. Um, and so I, I just I want to send a sincere, sincere thank you uh, for, from me to you for doing that. Hopefully this has been good. I, I attach my email to every one of the podcasts that I drop it's, uh, with thoughts longer than three minutes. I would love for you to give me ideas of people who you'd like to hear from, topics you'd like me to talk to, uh, talk to people about, uh, questions you have for maybe particular people that you have in mind or just for different people that I bring on the podcast. Please feel free to give me a, a shout and, and listen uh, and I'll, I'll definitely try to listen to that. Um, I do want to, before I close, just give you a prelude. We do have some great interviews coming. We have an interview with uh, another local South African talking about life. And then we have uh, a conversation coming up here with someone from Madrid, Spain. So really looking forward to that. And then some others that are lined up here uh, in the near future, uh, potentially going to Canada, the US, um, and trying to get ourselves into conversations with some people from Indonesia. So uh, very exciting times here on the podcast and hopefully not only are thoughts longer than three minutes helping you, but you're also consuming the content at three minute thought that is uh, short bursts of hopefully helpful uh, faith-based conversations uh, to help you thrive both in life as well as in your faith. Thank you.